0: Church Podcast Show, Episode Twenty Three. Josh Patterson here with Matt Chandler. Good to be back. It is good to be back. It was a good long break. We all needed it. It's awesome to be back. The Village Church Podcast Show is a twice monthly podcast about culture, theology, and leadership. And so, on this episode, we're going to be talking about life at the Village, new sermon series. I am just and started. I know it was awesome. Yeah, it was
1: good.
0: And Village One Hundred and One. Going to be talking a little bit about ministry and leadership with Afshin Ziafat talking about everything from Christian response to the Syrian refugee crisis, Islam and engaging our Muslim neighbors and then finally a new new aspect of the show is Ask TVC. Ask TVC, TVC isn't new, but bringing it onto the podcast show is new. We'll talk about that here in a second, but the new sermon series called I Am, talk to us a little bit about this.
2: Well, this past summer, I, the the church graciously gave me a sabbatical. And, and one of the things I, I ended up doing is as I was reading through the gospels, I, I started just noticing certain passages where um, Jesus's interactions with people or um, really the kind of who Jesus is more than what Jesus is doing kind of aspect of who he is really began to hit me in fresh ways. And so I wanted to Spend some time, if, if I could make it really simple, just looking at Jesus and and not necessarily that the what he has done or does, but who he is that mm-hmm. then emboldens our belief in what he has done. And so underneath the Jesus forgives my sin, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is um, the begotten kind son of, all of God. all those resume yes. points. Yeah. I, I wanted to get, okay, you know why can you forgive your sin like this past weekend? Because he's the savior of the world. Right. And the best way I thought to go about doing that um, is to get into the gospel of John, and actually you helped me shape this, and and to take the seven I am statements, which there are actually quite a few more than seven, but seven kind of dominant I am statements right. in the gospel of John and, and preach through that. And so we started that this past weekend out of John chapter four. We'll be bread of life this weekend, so excited about that, and I, I'm really looking forward to the to the series, I thought it was a sweet time this past weekend just to look, behold the glory of the sun with an unveiled face, and be transformed, I pray,
0: from one degree of glory to the next. Amen, amen. And you know this, but but even the encouragement coming from this weekend, getting an email about a guy that has been, uh, he has not attended the church, but at the arm of a friend who brought him this weekend, he was able to see that he is indeed... The Son of God who saves and yeah. you know
2: gave his life to the Lord, gave
0: his life to the Lord, then immediately good. went to a frat party and started sharing the gospel, like the woman at the well. It's awesome. It's like it's like that's what happens. Yep. And so, man, may there be more of that. Amen. We ask for that. So, also want to talk a little bit about Village One Hundred and One. We've hit on this before, but Village One Hundred and One is a is an invitation that the Village Church extends to other churches and ministry leaders, and just invites you to come in and spend a couple of days with us, and we learn from one another and share. Uh, hopes and ministry design and why we do what we do and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's really an all hands on deck kind of deal. And so um, Matt and I are there along with everyone. Yeah. So the whole staff's there. And and it's an opportunity, like I said, uh, for us to talk a little bit about the why behind the what, why we've designed a ministry to look like this, why we're compelled to move this way. But then we also get into a little bit of the what and the how. It's complete with breakout sessions on everything from children's ministry to to recovery to elders and leadership. And so it's just a way for us to learn from other churches and other churches to come maybe learn from us as well. And so just want to extend that invitation to all who are interested. It'll be hosted at the Flower Mound campus on March 2nd and 3rd. Cost is $25, pretty minimal. And you can find all the information on our website. And so Village 101, man, hope to have folks come out for that. Yeah, they will. Come on. Let's do it. Here with Afshin Ziafat. Afshin is the lead pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas, which actually was the first church plant of the Village Church. And so, Really looking forward to this conversation. Some of you guys know Afshin. Afshin's a great friend of mine, a great friend of ours, really. Yeah. And looking forward to having you on here. As I said, he's the lead pastor of a church in Frisco called Providence. And before that, had an itinerant speaking ministry. He's global. global. This dude's global. <laughs> global. This dude is all global. over.
2: Afshin Ziafat. <laughs> what His do you mean? like
0: James Smith. <laughs> Why you keep dogging on James Smith, <laughs> man? I'm
2: not dogging on James Smith. He's got a beautiful. You trolled Facebook on that dude page. this
0: weekend. <laughs> I did. You did. <laughs> can we get Can we get back to this? us talk. Uh-huh. We're going to be talking about a lot, and and I'm excited that you're you're the guy that we're having this conversation with. And and some folks may know this; certainly, uh, village members know this. That Ashin preached here two weeks ago on a message on the nations, and that great message sermon. it was a great sermon. In fact, I would highly recommend folks listen to that message. And and the perspective that you have, Sheen, is one of an Iranian American, which is yeah. a unique perspective, and you have unique stories and unique circumstances as. As I hope to unpack a little bit here in our time together today, but thinking about the call to take the gospel to the nations, but also thinking about how the nations are coming here, so Mm -hmm. to speak, in a very real way, in a way that honestly is making people uncomfortable uh, and is created a bunch of conversation points, hot topics to discuss, comments on blogs, things like that. But thinking about your perspective, and, and I want to flesh this out a little bit. So, born where? Um, I was born in Houston. Okay, H-Town, home yeah, of the base sound. That's right. How long did you live there?
1: Clutch City. Uh, not, not really. Uh, well, we don't have time for this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I <lived> well. <laughs> I lived there two years uh, and then moved back to Iran. So when I was two, moved to Iran. When I was six, the revolution hit Iran, and we moved back to Houston. So first grade, and then lived the rest of my life in Houston and Texas.
0: So making the transition back here, uh, yeah. what was that like?
1: So I mean, it, w- it was crazy. We were we were leaving Iran because of the chaos there with the revolution, and we had no idea what we were getting into uh, here in America. Because immediately the Iran hostage crisis hits, and so we've got um, you know everyone saying bomb Iran, and we had rocks thrown through our window in, in Houston. My parents' car's tires were slashed, and older high school kids threatened to beat up my brother and I because we were from Iran. Uh, and so you know I get what it's like to to live in this country. Um, and be from a, a place that people are very suspicious of, and you know they're the enemies. And so, right. because of the hostage crisis, so
0: so thinking about that perspective, you come from a family that is not a Christian family; it's no. it's a Muslim family. You grew up Muslim, mm-hmm. and thinking about the way that you were treated when you were here, and treated with suspicion, treated with violence, treated with anger, treated with distance, and all of that has an impact on you, yeah. right? I yeah. mean
1: talk about that. So yeah, I mean, because of that, I didn't trust, you know, hardly any American. And so that's why I'm so thankful for one American Christian lady who was my tutor. And my family actually hired her to meet with me extra after school and read me books. And she would, she basically taught me the English language. And so in the second grade, this is the lady that says, hey, Afshin, I've been reading you all these books. Now I want to give you a small New Testament. Uh, she didn't say that. Uh, the greatest right. book, she gave me a small New Testament and told me to read it later in my life. And if anyone else had given me that New Testament, I would have thrown it away. But since it came from the one lady who really loved me and treated me differently, um, yeah. I held on to it. And th- th- it was that New Testament that I read 10 years later that brought me to faith in Christ. Yeah.
0: And, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more as sure. as we kind of work through the show, but thinking about now the political context that we find ourselves in, but not just—it's not just a political context. This is real-life situations for real people who are who are struggling. They're yeah. suffering. They're going through tough times. They're in uh, horrible circumstances, and so it's been labeled the Syrian refugee crisis,
1: right.
0: and it's it's divisive. I mean, it's it's controversial how we respond to that, and. And the way that I want to talk about this here is not so much right now politically, because first and foremost, we're not politicians. First and foremost, we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we as believers understand and begin to unpack and make sense of a
1: refugee? What do we think about that? I mean, I had the privilege of being able to go to Capitol Hill and sit on a panel discussing this. And uh, so I wrestled with this a lot before I went there. What am I going to say, you know, as a a Christian, as a Christian pastor, and then especially coming from Iran? And and really, I honestly think as I look at the Bible, uh, I get that we want to make sure that our government is doing whatever it can to protect us. uh, But at the end of the day, I think my heart is saying, look— I was once separated from God, not a people. Here are people that are coming here with really disillusionment, a lot of them, about Islam because of what they're seeing. And so what an amazing opportunity. And so what I said was basically this. We have to not just think protection but first obligation, which the Scripture says we have to take care of the sojourner, the stranger amongst us, uh, especially the orphan and the widow among them. Uh, But then secondly, we got to think opportunity because as Christians, we have to remember why we're even here in the first place. Our mission is to take the gospel to the nations, and the nations are coming to us. Our mission isn't to preserve our life and to extend our life as long as we can. Our mission is to spend our life every day we have spreading the gospel. And so I'm not saying don't think about protection at all, but I'm, I'm saying as Christians, we should think obligation and opportunity also.
0: Okay, so let, let, let's just kind of push on this and, and think about this a little bit, because protection is an issue, and it's a very real issue, and it's also a stewardship issue that we need to consider as Christians. So protection is, is not antithetical to the gospel, which is recognized that the gospel has called us to lay down our life for the sake of this, this mission— but not to the exclusion of um, obligations that I have to care for my family, right? So I'm, I'm thinking about my family. I do not y'all push on this now that I'm saying it out loud. I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> Wait let me a think about. Wait a second. <laughs> as a dad, yeah. as a Christian dad, as a Christian mm-hmm. husband, there is a very true call on my life to steward and guard and protect my family, yeah. right? Um, and I think about that in the framework of, okay, so I live here in the United States, and I do want there to be—I do want this to be a safe place. Mm-hmm. I do want this to be—and I recognize that safety is relative, and it's we're never truly safe from anything. Everything's outside of our control. So y'all, y'all help me here with this tension between safety and gospel call, and how does that work together? Where, where does it become foolish? Where does it become well, ignorant? I,
2: I think you have—there are more— more things at play here than a refugee and the Patterson family and your call to protect your family, that there have been institutions ordained by God that carry the weight of some of these things that you're now trying to carry. Um, And so I think of what Paul says about the government and the purpose of the government and what God does through a government— and, and I think what you're seeing in the fear in other people, not that it's right is that there seems to be a, a lack of confidence that our government can do the type of screening possible to so so the arguments the arguments on both sides of this this tend to be the loudest voices um, and and in some sense the craziest voices sure. and and so I think if you if you can kind of just view it in the middle, I think most Christians that I've had the conversation with, they're earnest to love and, and serve people who are in difficult situations and scenarios that are – but they lack the confidence that our government is actually screening in a way that's helpful or is even able um, to, to – I don't know the the right phrase here to, – to snuff out or, or sniff out uh, someone who has come here on purpose in like a sleeper cell or something – um, to To kill and to harm, and so I, I think that i don 't as, as I think about my family and as I think about being an American citizen, um, what, what I think the Bible's calling me to do is that trust the institution that 's been put in place to do that that then sets me free to love and serve and walk alongside and and where where that gets missed and people get hurt um, that that 's that space that I, I will never be able to control without being disobedient to God's call on my life to love and serve others.
1: Yeah, I mean, because wisdom, we have to employ wisdom. Right. I mean, if there's a guy living next to me that is doing suspicious things, then I've got to, you know, do my duty as a good citizen and let the government know. And and I mean, thats it's dumb to say I'm not going to mention anything to the government because i got to be loving. No, I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to pick up the phone and call someone and say, look, there's some suspicious activity. So you got to be wise, but
0: so simplistically, you're, yeah. you're not reducing it, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. You're not reducing it to simply the obligation that Christians have to evangelize the world simply negates the responsibility for protection that God instituted the government to have. Yeah, no. So we're holding those together, both. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the answer is yes to both yeah, of those. Yeah, and then
2: the only thing I would add, just so we could be really careful here, and, and then I'd love for us to talk some about uh, Islam in general, is— is that even on the suspicious activity side of things, I I think the first thing I'm going to start with is the attempt to be a really good neighbor to my Muslim neighbor, um, so that maybe I see something as suspicious that's actually just something cultural that's that mm-hmm. I don't understand. Right. And so more than I'm like, oh my gosh, they got a package in the mail, yeah. I need to call the FBI, <laughs> or, or hey, there's a group of men hanging out front. Yeah, you that's know, good smoking a hookah together yeah. and, you know, it looked like they were plotting something. Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I want to knock on the door. I want yeah, to invite him into word. my house.
2: Yeah. I, I want to just
1: ask questions. Yeah, my, my, yeah Seek to I understand. think you're right. My, my point is just like, hey, you, you, it's not just be idiots about this right. and, and don't think about um, protecting your family. I think you've got to be, you know, wise as serpents and, this and as doves. I mean, you, gotta, you have to be wise here, but you have to also um, – I think what I was trying to say is we shouldn't just think protection. Uh, and, and we forgot why we're here. Yeah. You know,
0: so. And I think your point's well taken, I, and I'm, I'm pushing on it to highlight what I think you're saying, yeah. and I, I agree with, that there is a tension that needs to be held, mm-hmm. but what needs to be trumpeted more often mm-hmm. is the call of the obligation in the life of a believer mm-hmm. and thinking about the orphan
1: and the widow and the opportunity to evangelize the lost. And so, and I think just also, real quickly, sorry, there's the heart of the believer. Yeah. I mean, do you have a heart of that's compassion? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, let's talk a little bit about Islam. as this uh, this religion has gotten you know it's it's kind of accosted the headlines um, in so many ways, and most of the attention is not positive. And so, what's the level of ignorance that's out there as it relates to this religion? Do we are we understanding it correctly? How to help us? This is this is your background. You grew up in this. Your family, um, by and large, are still Muslims, and so. Help here.
1: Yeah, I think—I mean, obviously, this is probably one of the most difficult things to, to address because in one sense, I would say, you know, George Bush getting up and saying that Islam is a religion of peace after September the 11th, and he's doing it for political reasons because he yeah. wants to make sure the world doesn't think we're attacking Islam. I get why he's doing it, but I would also say it's, it's not a religion of peace. Uh, Islam, you know, espouses that, you know, if that I should be killed, for instance. As someone who c- converts from Islam to Christianity uh, should be killed. And, you know, Islam does have verses that says, fight against the people of the book who have been given the scriptures but do not believe in um, in Allah. And that's obviously the Jews and the Christians. And, uh, and so there are verses like that. However, I think we have to be careful not to assume that, being devout to Islam means that you're gonna go blow yourself up and kill someone.
2: Well, and I you know, if I I think the the way I'm trying to view it and understand it is is in a very real way how I kind of see the the men and women of the village church. So and, and what I mean by that is there are men and women at the village church who although they attend here every week, they would not be marked by what the Bible says a Christian should be marked by. So it's easy for us to go, oh Christianity's a religion of peace, it's mm. one of compassion and generosity. But I can look out there and there there are plenty of people who claim to be Christians who who would be I see, this categories always bother me, nominal. I, I think probably non-believers if if mm-hmm. if I would be so bold. Yeah. Um and, and so I think a lot of interactions I've had with Muslims in this area, they're they're kind of like the Christian that comes to church on Sunday and calls himself a Christian, but but yeah. they like I've I've literally met two that I know more about the Quran than they do. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah. so e, there are these categories that exist within Christianity that also exist w- within Islam. That the the thing that I I think helps me the most is the most radical Christians I know sell it all and go and serve and give to the poor and and engage the hurting and wounded and and yet the most radicalized Muslims that we've seen and, and maybe there's a category here that I have yet to see. It are are those that
1: that do really horrific things? Yeah,
0: is that a, is that a fair characterization?
1: It's a hard question, honestly, because I think uh, some people could interpret it that way and take those violent passages and end up becoming you know a jihadist. You know, uh, I do. I think most Muslims they they wouldn't. I mean, uh, and I think most Muslims, uh, like you said, don't even know that those verses are in their Quran. So. Uh, you got to remember that Islam is at the end of the day driven by fear you know and driven by a works uh, based that I've got to somehow earn God's favor yeah. by how good I am you know and and Christians need to know that, and Christians need to know that what they look at us as is they look at Christianity as America, and so they see porn and they see the movies and the violence, and they think, well, that's pretty much Christianity, and for them to see that uh no, we actually live for God. And But the reason we do isn't because we're trying out of fear that he's out to get us, but because he's first loved us. I think that's where I would try to say, say to Christians more is remember what is driving Islam at the end of the day is, is fear. And, you know, Scripture says perfect love casts out fear. And if we could yeah. go and show them that love, um, I think that it's going to be revolutionary. So the category I'm missing then
2: is that radical Islam for most Muslims is going to be kind of a works-based, let me try to earn this. Let me try to tilt the scales in my favor so that Allah will be pleased. Oh, yeah. I think okay. so, yeah. That's super helpful, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So if you
0: think about that and, and you go back to what you said earlier about compassion and you think about a people who are enslaved to a works-based religion, because it's not only Islam that's a works-based religion. There's all kinds it's of... a human heart, man. It's a human mm-hmm. heart. Just think about the weight of burden mm-hmm. that that is to live under. Because you know you never measure up, yeah. and, you, and, and the weight that you're carrying as a people, as a religion, and so to not be burdened for these people, mm-hmm. to not be burdened for those who are enslaved to the weight of works, um, I think is really to miss the essence of what grace sure. frees us mm-hmm. from and what grace has really done in my own heart. Mm-hmm. Um so I, that's a really helpful perspective.
1: I, I think I think it's that pushing on them and it's also I mean you got to remember these people grew up in a region where for instance the Palestinians they're seeing they're being bombed since they were kids and they're looking out and seeing the the shells that say made in the USA. So I mean I'm not you know I understand why they would be hatred there would be hatred towards America and towards the West growing up in that you know. And so that's why I'm saying we've got to show them the better way, which is, man, that God loves us and we don't have to try to earn it, you know. And uh, when they see that kind of love, especially when they're expecting us to hate them, I yeah. think will will change their lives. And so. that goes back to your testimony of the expectation
0: you having here as an Iranian-American and you were confronted weekly, if not daily, mm-hmm. with that reality of, of bullying and—, and mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all that it was that, that there was one who did demonstrate to you uh, the faithful presence of the love of God. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And it changed you. Yeah. I'm I'm who I am today because she um, showed me I, I always say, man, I think you'd earn the right to be heard. And she did it by the way she loved me. So
0: Okay. So thinking about how this this has played out uh, in some interesting ways here in the States, and, and this question has come up. But, don 't essentially Christians and Muslims worship the same God are we are we just talking about the same thing here uh, didn 't we all come from Abraham and how does this play out Th- this is This is shown up on college campuses and sure. this is shown up in demonstrations through faculty members at Christian schools and things like that so how how do we think about this
1: yeah i mean i I would say that the people. Uh, trace back to Abraham. So Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and God promised that Ishmael will be a great nation, uh, but will be a wild donkey of a man, always at war with his brother, and that my covenant is going to come through Isaac. And so I think the people trace back, but it'd be hard for me to go all the way to saying that we worship the same exact God, because um, at the end of the day, Islam rejects the deity of Christ and rejects that, you know, Christ is the Son of God. And and I think if you, uh, at the end of the day, don't worship Jesus, then I, I think you're missing who the true God is.
2: Yeah, that's—I mean, I I just couldn't more fully agree with that statement, that the if you want to trace us back to Abraham and you want to trace us back to the fact that Abraham's worshiping this God, as history moves forward and God reveals himself more and more— you, you see incompatible, literally incompatible deities taking shape between these three religions, uh, the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims. And and so that the triune God of the Bible and Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, it is the means of salvation for all men, that's— completely incompatible with both Muslim and Jewish thought. So it can't be the same God. Although it can be Abraham, it cannot be God as he's revealed himself in the Scriptures. Yeah, I
1: absolutely agree.
0: Yeah, so you can have the, you can have the lineage of Abraham but not be united in the Son, and That's therefore right. you don't have the Father.
1: That's yeah. right. Because I mean. at the end of the day, it's not um, the true sons of Abraham are those who have their faith in Jesus Christ, not those who can trace their lineage physically back to Abraham. Right. So.
0: Okay, so I want to go back again and kind of where this whole thing started. As we're thinking about a people, and we're thinking about the opportunity, the obligation, and as as the world seems to be coming here to the states, what do we th- what do we think about this again? Let's just kind of drill it down missionally. Um, how can we begin to serve and love our Muslim neighbors? And, and some people don't have Muslim neighbors, and so it may not be as readily available. Uh, as others. But how do we begin to think about this as we're asking the Lord to generate in us a heart of compassion that is a heart towards the Great Commission and recognizing this is this is the obligation and um, that we have? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think first, remember the gospel, like I talked about on the Sunday that I preached. Remember who you were. <clears throat> that should drive you to want to love the Muslim. And so I would say what Matt said, go over there and get to know them. Uh, I think it's, man, uh, the unknown, the fear of the unknown. If you would just go over and, hey, uh, can I help you uh, you 're new to this area? are you new to our country? Can I help you set up a bank account? Uh, maybe maybe you don 't know how the grocery store works here I mean uh, can I uh, you know help you set up your your bills or whatever it might be? Uh, can I have you over for dinner uh, and then if the spiritual conversation even comes up or even before that, how can I pray for you that 's a great question. So I always say that evangelizing or you know Muslims you know it should start with loving them, getting to know them, asking questions. Um, so I would always say, start there, but then eventually I would say, you know, when you, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, if you were talking yeah, about great. evangelism per se, but at the end of the day, I think I want to get them to a conversation about Jesus and about grace. And, and, and let me, let me say this, um, you know, Islam, you know, I, I wouldn't come at, like, for instance, immediately say, Jesus is God. And that's where, that's where I'm going to start with. Because, yeah, wouldn't. yeah. Cause they're, that's the greatest sin in Islam is shirk to equate anything or anyone with God. So they're going to just, lo- you're going to lose them if you start there. Uh, what I would do more more likely is, for instance, let's say you're offended if I call this a table, yeah. this table that's in front of us. Uh, what I would do is instead say, hey, uh, what, what are these things down here? Do you see these things supporting these legs? And then you're like, oh, yeah, those are legs. And then eventually, well, what's this on top of it? You're like, oh, well, that's – they're supporting this you know, round uh, piece of wood, flat piece of wood. Oh, you know what? It looks like a table. In the same way – in Islam, there are indicators in Islam of Christ's deity that he was. It's said that he was born of a virgin, that yeah. he was sinless, that he actually gave life. He breathed into clay and made so, a bird. Right. So I'm going. I'm going to point them there and say, okay, um, has anyone else ever not sinned? Has anyone else ever created life? You know, has anyone else been born of a virgin? And then eventually they're going to say, he's more than a prophet. Yeah. You know. And so that's kind of where I would try to drive them to on Jesus on on grace. Again, they think grace is hey, you can pray to receive Christ and go do whatever you want. And yeah. so I want to show them that there's a better motivator to live for God than fear of yeah. hell. And that motive is love. Because I've been loved, I am compelled to live for God. And God gets so much more honor when I do it out of love than out of fear. And so that's what I try to show them but with my actions and then with my words. So.
2: Well, and I think they, even if you don't have a Muslim living next door to you, I think even in our community like i I don't have a Muslim neighbor, but the guy that owns the Nestle tollhouse store that I bring my kids to uh, is from Kenya his name is Muhammad and he, he, you know just over the years we've just built up a relationship just having conversations one-off conversations but uh, what I picked up just in my conversations with him is he he's very concerned about how I might see him. In fact, the first time he told me he was Muslim, I asked him what kind, and he told me, not a bad kind. And I said, no, 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 I mean like Sunni or Shiite. And he was trying to say, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not, trust yeah. me, I'm not, I'm yeah. not here. I, I own this business. I'm not a terrorist. And, yeah. and so I literally laughed with him yeah. and I said, no, no, no. I mean, are you Sunni? Are you Shiite? Are you where? Um, and and so I have found in those little conversations in those spaces that, man, he wants me to try to understand. He wants me to ask questions. Mm-hmm. He He wants to show... I'm I'm not a bad man, yeah. uh, and so that that I have found it to be such an easier door to walk through, especially in this climate, because mm-hmm. they they. They, he wanted me to know I'm not a bad person I don't want to hurt anybody I and so that opened up the door for all sorts of conversations that we've had and continue to have yeah
1: and i think like for that person most muslims that you're going to come across in america we have to remember also that it's so much a part of their culture too yeah it's not just a theological debate for them for them it's like you you, you talked to them about jesus that what are you calling me to do are you calling me to become a christian that for them it's almost like walk away from my heritage and my and so it, it's, a, it, it's hard. We have to know that. And, yeah, it'd be and, like an Irish Catholic. Yeah, yeah. And to try to show them, exactly, try to show them that, look, you can, first of all, keep your culture yeah. uh, and and worship the true God. you know, And so I think that's something that uh, we have to keep in mind. Well, I, I appreciate this conversation
0: for a lot of reasons, but one, coming from you, Afshin, I think provides not just me, but all of us a unique yeah. perspective thinking about the fact that this, this is your story. This is your story's flesh and blood. It's true, it's real. It's not something that happened to you just when you were uh, you know, a teenager, but your family is is still there. You're still engaging Muslims personally and so and I appreciate you a whole lot. Looking forward now to doing a little bit of Ask TVC, new format. Here we go. What
2: well, we're going to do, Ask TVC a little bit different than we've historically done it, we've been doing it Uh, really just in the studio with me in front of the camera. But we thought it'd be better to actually dialogue around some of these things. And so uh, you can tune in and we'll do three or four of these each time as time allows. So the first question uh, on Ask TVC is from Blake Aldridge. Uh, I believe, and and his question is, what do you think of these pastors and others supporting Trump for president? And so I'll I'll lead us off, and then I'd love you brothers, actually, join us uh, to have a conversation here about these pastors and others supporting Trump for president. Well, it, it's a strange thing, but I, I think if you take Trump out of the equation and you put any other candidate's name in that, then then you've got these same questions that arise. for, for me, I I'm going to let these brothers. Have their pastoral privilege while I am confused as i 'll get out at at how you could and and it 's not that there's another candidate that 's sinless it 's that there are candidates that haven 't been blatantly racist and and blatantly arrogant and have a Really long track record of such things, and so 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 for me, it's it's not that there's another candidate that's uh, a Christian candidate that I could really rally behind. I think everybody's got their weaknesses, right? Everybody's got their faults, but but I think in particular, Trump is is saying some things that that is it's plain to fear. It's plain to a type of thing that um, that. History has shown us doesn't end well for a nation, and yet in our fear and 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 maybe it's because things have gotten so politically correct that his refusal to enter into that space um, makes people feel uh, something. So I don't quite understand it, but I again I'm I'm saying all of that, saying I I just feel like they've got their own pastoral privilege there. I'm, they, they can do what <laughs> yeah, they. want. I mean want they can say yeah. what
0: they want. It, it is interesting that. Pastors are endorsing candidates from the pulpit. Yeah. Uh, that's that's unique, and I, I recognize that they're not all doing it from the pulpit, but but they're doing it publicly, and that that that's another topic. But you're right, man. If to think about this, and you just plug in another name, what what do I think about pastors that are supporting Hillary Clinton? Well, I I would take issue with that. I take issue, obviously, with a lot of what she stands for and, and what she heralds as good and right, and so. Mm-hmm. You could pretty much go candidate by candidate. Or
2: president by president president
1: throughout U.S. history. I agree. I I mean, my thing as a a pastor, I don't want to be supporting or going against a candidate. I want to be preaching against racism, preaching against abortion, and letting my people know these values and let them vote on those. But also, I would, to your point, say I, I would want to encourage my people to say, hey, don't just vote on value. Vote on character. And our president doesn't have to be a Christian. I mean, I, I mean, but I, I'm going to say you can't just throw character out the window. Right. The same, you know, we came against Clinton when all of his, you know, indiscretions came out. We said he's not a guy of character. But now it's like we're going to throw character out because he is saying things that we want to hear. And and so I think that's where I'm like, I can't do it as a Christian, much less a pastor.
0: Okay, so here's a here's another question from. I guess you, Afshin, from at Hugs and Teacups. Um, <laughs> That's strong, so. strong, strong.
2: Twitter name. <laughs> That's Afshane. my handle. Baby. That's your handle.
0: Not <laughs> uh, only Meredith. Knew it. <laughs> here, here it is. As Christians, is it our responsibility to rebuke false gospels? If so, how should we do it?
2: So, I, I think the way I've historically tried to think about it is, I have a responsibility before the Lord to shepherd well the people of the Village Church. Right. And, and try as best I can to not police evangelicalism. There's enough false gospels at the village church for me to worry about, pray through, engage, have a meal over um, for me to stay busy rather than looking at another ministry either in this city or... Now, if there's another false gospel ministry that, that seems to be gaining influence here at the village among a group of people, then, then I will certainly address that from the stage. But I, 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 I am spent loving and serving the people of the village church, so I haven't felt a lot of need to critique or attack uh, other pastors and ministries, although I, I do quite often— um, Mention prosperity gospel stuff and um, and and those types of things, but but as far as kind of getting in the blog wars and Twitter wars and and taking. Shots at I, I try to as best I can uh, avoid that. And those
1: are those are the folks on the outside. But now Scripture does say, as pastors, when sure. when the false teacher comes within our flock, yep. then we got to step up and well, rebu- rebuke him. He writes in Galatians, Paul does you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, you know. And First Timothy six, look out for the one who's coming and preaching something contrary to what you have been taught. So I think uh, there, yeah, if it's within our body, sure. you'd say that too. We got to jump in. You know, it's
0: interesting, I can remember doing an assignment back in seminary back in the day. Where I had to go through the pastoral epistles and and delineate the roles and the responsibilities of the pastor. So, what what does this role look like? What does this responsibility look like? And and the number one responsibility through the pastoral epistles, by far and away, was um, rebuking false teaching. But I totally agree with you that that happens primarily, first church. and foremost, in your context. Yeah. As these these guys came into that context to,
1: and I think we. Uh, teach the whole counsel of God's word so that our people can smell it from a mile away. I mean, I think that's our first thing: is to preach accurately the gospel, and then at times to rebuke false gospels.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm not. This is the the weakness of Ask TBC. Is I hope we're hitting where she's asking, but I'm but I'm not sure if she's just asking about a friend that she knows that ascribes to a false gospel. Then, in love, sister, I would sit your. Um, sister, mother, girlfriend, down, and have a conversation about what is real and true and right and and then let the beauty of that be the primary driver of what what is false out um, but but if you're asking a, a broader question, hopefully we've answered yeah that
0: okay, so time. another question from at Bill D Holt, Bill De Holt, uh, Bill asks, what does godly leadership look like? in a capitalistic workplace, godly leadership in a capitalistic workplace. And I would just tell you there, at Bill Holt, um, we we talked about this uh, at length with J.R. Vassar on episode 15 of the podcast show. One of my favorites. Yeah, it was great. We we lost our mind Mm -hmm. on that one. Um, But there was some good content. Charlie Uh, Lee. Charlie Lee. It's a tough name. It's a tough name. Um, But episode 15 of the podcast show, I think you can uh, find some good content in there about the workplace and godly leadership. And so the last question is this from at the Alex Aldridge, the Alex Aldridge. Yeah,
2: not to be <laughs> mistaken for other Alex Aldridges.
0: Mm, this, well, he is the Alex Aldridge. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Don't mistake <laughs> Right. What's your Twitter handle, Sheen? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, my name, Afshin <laughs> Ziafat. You got that? Uh, uh, yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> that was open? Uh, that's horrible.
0: Okay. easy yeah. if that's gone, so I had to go have a sheet. Okay. <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, Alex Aldridge says this. What do you think about churches using the sinner's prayer? Is it just that easy? Is it misleading? How do we understand this?
1: Yeah. I- I think it's we've got to be careful with it uh, to some degree because I do think that some people make it seem like, okay, these are like some, you know, this rote thing that you have to it's do. like a little spell yeah. that you say. Witchcraft, it, yeah. Yeah, to become a Christian. And I think we've got to make sure that, uh, look, you're not saved because you walk down an aisle, let's say, or that you are saying these words verbatim. What saves you is Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago and you putting your faith in it, however that looks, however that sounds, you putting your faith in it is what saves you.
2: So I— I think if, if the sinner's prayer is me sitting down with someone, having this conversation, and then me helping them with that first prayer of forgiveness well, and Well, that's surrender. exactly what
0: happened to me, is yeah. I sat down and, and Tom, man, Bailey. Tom Bailey unpacked the gospel for me and said, does this resonate with your heart? Yes. he said, well, well, let's pray together. Yeah. Let's go to the father your new father and I'm praying this prayer.
2: I get more anxious for what you see where there's a crowd of people. No doubt. And no. repeat this prayer after me. You 90 Yeah. 110 people and that raised up your hands. And welcome to the family You're Christians. God. Yeah. I think that's where I get Basically, what Afshin did for about eight years, ten years <laughs> on the road. Yeah. Well, so the, the part
1: of it that I, you know, back to what happened with you and Tom Bailey. I mean, the part of it that I like is is you're saying, okay, now you respond. Yeah. If that's the good thing, right? Well, say, amen. Yeah. Because Peter,
2: right, at, yeah. at Pentecost, he preaches, and the people say, "Tell us what, what to what do. What do we do? Exactly. What, what do, do we do?" do? So yeah. I like that. I, it's not sinful or wrong to invite a response. It's not manipulative. It's not. Um, I, I just think you have to be careful with that type of thing. I, I don't ever want to give anyone false confidence that they're a believer,
1: but full assurance that they are. That they, are. they place their love and trust Absolutely. in the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ. But based on faith in Christ's finished work. That's Amen. what I want to keep saying. Yeah.
0: Amen. Afshin, thanks for being on. Love you, brother. It. Thanks, it was man. just so good. Thank you thanks, for being brother. a dear thanks friend. For and me. Love you a guys. Friend of this church. And so uh, that's it for the Village Church podcast show. Just want to remind you if there's anything that you heard us talk about today on the show that you'd like to learn more about, you can find all those details on the website at thevillagechurch.net and look at the episode descriptions on our podcast show page. Next up on the Village Church podcast show will be the great Tony Romo talking faith and football. Looking forward to that conversation about those cowboys. How about them Should cowboys? How, yeah. about them cowboys? Well, too How about them Oilers? Oh, oh don't exist anymore. Clutch Man. what was it? Clutch City? Yeah.
2: Okay. I think he said something about that earlier. I'm not sure what that meant. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think you gotta go back to the night. I hate you guys. Love you. <laughs> just by way of reminder, if you got questions for Tony, for us, just let us know on social media using the hashtag AskTVC and we'll be answering. A handful of those every episode. So see you next time. God bless.